Well, while you guys are getting to your seats, I just wanted to welcome you to Chi Alpha. You're welcome, personally. My name is Melissa. I've been on staff of this ministry, and I'm excited to teach tonight. Um, I know I taught last quarter, but in case anybody is new, here's a picture of my fam. There's my husband, Tony. That was our New Year's Eve party that we just made. My husband, Tony, we've married like almost 12 years, and then four-year-old Annabelle and six-year-old Tyler and me. Um, <laughs> we should probably pray. Jesus, please help me to just be the right amount weird, the right amount wise, help my sore throat hold out until the end, and help us learn from you. In your name, amen. That almost rhymed. I don't know how. Anyways. Um, okay, a fun fact about my son lately. Um, for Christmas, he asked for an Aikido battle set as his number one most desired gift. He made sure to tell grandparents about it on video calls um, right before, after Thanksgiving. He like didn't overtly ask. He like was shameless enough to like not totally ask, like, could you please buy this for me, Grandpa? But he like laid all the groundwork and like very unstealthily hinted that like, he would really like somebody to buy that for him. And then weeks after making his Christmas list, he and I were looking for gifts for um, Dada, for my husband, and we some like Zelda encyclopedias came up, and Tyler was asking about that, and I was like, Dada already has all the ones he wants. He got them for Father's Day. Um, but then Tyler saw one for Zelda Breath of the Wild, like the second most recent, like big game. If you're not into Zelda, just hang with me for a little while, because it's going to be a few minutes. Um, but Tyler was like, I maybe like that encyclopedia thing. Could you maybe add it to my list? So we like half-heartedly added it to his Amazon wish list, not expecting much. On Christmas morning, Tyler was opening up gifts from all the grandparents, aunts and uncles, and one of the first things he opened was the Breath of the Wild encyclopedia slash walkthrough slash book of cheat spoilers. Um, he cracked it open and started reading it. That's, he's like wearing the Pokemon beanie I got him, but then he's like deep into the book. We ended up skipping his turn to open presents multiple times because we just couldn't get his attention. We are like, all right, gifts will be here. Um, and we tried to get his attention like, hey, Tyler, look, Annabelle just opened up this like cool frozen toy. And he'd be like, oh, cool, Anna. And then like right back to like <laughs> his reading. It has now been 22 days since Christmas, if the Google calculator that I checked with is correct. Um, and he has not ceased reading this encyclopedia. The thing he thought would be his number one priority, the poor, forgotten Aikido battle set, he played with maybe three times on Christmas and the days after. Um, if you're interested, you can make an offer. He doesn't really care about it anymore. Um, <laughs> but he has become totally obsessed with The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I am regularly awoken at 6 a.m. and earlier with insatiable questions about different color bokoblins HP. And if you don't know what that means, you are blessed. <laughs> He thinks about each possible weapon in the game and like, can rattle off all the strength and durability stats. Also, he's six, if I didn't mention that. Um, I, in fact, played this game last summer and beat it. Take that, Ganon. And my husband, Tony, has beaten it multiple times back when it first came out when Tyler was literally born, like seven years ago. Um, and, and Tyler cannot fathom how I have beaten this game, not him. But I do not carry in my brain any awareness of the varying HP of the monsters of the game or the strength and durability stats of every single weapon or why I could have beaten the game without retaining this obviously necessary info in my delicate little brain. I tried to explain like my mother's mental load, the real world, things like that. But anyways, um, <laughs> if you're feeling convicted by that, <laughs> Tim, yeah, that wasn't my message practice. Tim hasn't heard that before. Um, but anyways, Tyler has devoted himself to this book, to this world, to the nuances and details and strategy. He looks for every opportunity to play it and talk about it. 
I am not exaggerating when I say that this book changed him. It changed his mind, his cares, his interests, what he thinks about and talks about and dreams about almost 24-7. He can't not share with others. At church, right after Christmas, he made a beeline for Auntie Haley. Haley, where you at? Thank you for your service, um, to show her the encyclopedia and discuss everything he could cram into a little five-minute friendship break at church. Auntie Haley was the first of an ever-growing list of people slash casualties that Tyler has shared passionately with. The most recent was Brandon um, last weekend when they came over. He was teaching Bubba Bubba Brandon all about it. So uh, this point is to say this gift changed my kid, his focus and his priorities. Last week, Taylor taught us from Acts chapter 2, and we got to see the first followers of Jesus received a gift that changed them. Kind of like Tyler's Christmas gift, they probably didn't expect what it was going to all be like. Probably different than what they expected to receive. At the start of chapter 2 of Acts, I I don't think they could have wrapped their brains around how much this gift was going to change their minds, their priorities, their values, the things that they would talk about with other people every chance they got. And this is the incredible gift that Jesus gives us when he baptizes us in his spirit. Like Taylor said, when we come to believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit giving us faith, making us new, uh, making us born again so much more. But the spirit baptism experience, it like fills us up with God's presence and, and, and power in an unprecedented way. And it empowers us to be his witnesses right where we are, wherever we're going into the very ends of the earth. So let's get those Bibles passed out, please. If you need a Bible to use tonight or to keep these forever, just raise your hand. And you guys can start turning to Acts chapter 2. And while we get those headed out, handed out, um, I just want to briefly recap where Taylor took us last week. So to start, I remember Taylor said Acts 2, it, it begins 10 days after Jesus' ascension to heaven. Basically half the time from Christmas to now. Like if I go on a trip 10 days later, I guarantee you I have not yet unpacked my suitcase. Like going to Salt, probably spring break is when I'll unpack it when I need to like pack for spring break. The point is, 10 days is a very recent amount of time in my life and probably a lot of people's. All the disciples were chilling together. They were waiting in Jerusalem like Jesus told them to. Even though Jerusalem was low-key the most dangerous place on the planet for them to be just hanging out after Jesus' death and resurrection. And then the gift arrived. Do you guys remember the words Taylor taught us? Like the non-English words? There was a lot of English words, he said. But what's the Hebrew word for breath, wind, and spirit? Ruach. Very good. And the Greek word for breath, wind, and spirit, pneuma. And bonus round, the Greek word for fire, pur, pur. Very good. That was, that was excellent. You know, the cold just kind of froze a lot of our brains, so defrosting. But um, that was really good. So these words, they all kind of build this picture of, of God's holy, mighty presence coming to dwell and rest on his disciples, filling them with his own Holy Spirit. And my question is, how could we tell that they were changed beyond the, the, the account it describes a visible, like, flames of fire they could see and, like, a wind that was pretty intense they could hear? What could we tell, how could we tell they changed? It talks about they instantly began speaking in other languages they had never learned. Um, that's called speaking in tongues. Other people instantly confirmed that because, as it so happened, people from all over the world were gathered right outside the window where the disciples were hanging out, and they were shocked. They were shocked to hear their own native languages being spoken by these dudes who could not have ever learned it. No Duolingo back then. Not a lot of travel. They thought they were drunk at 9 a.m. because it was, it was so crazy. That was the most logical conclusion they had, was what or they drunk. And did you notice any other changes? I noticed Peter, my homeboy, 
who just weeks ago, he betrayed Jesus three times, straight up. I never knew that guy. And then we cut to moments after Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. What do we see? We see a different Peter. People are, are challenging him and his friends, and he stands up and preaches a bomb message to thousands of people wondering if they're crazy and or drunk, and this message is radiating truth, boldly proclaiming the gospel, the message about Jesus. That's a changed Peter. Like, that's a fast changed Peter. Just weeks ago, he cowered away from any association to Jesus, and here, he's not cowered, he's empowered. I thought that was cute. Um, as a bold witness to his risen king. Guys, sometimes I think we forget how amazing God is. He is so powerful and good. God is supernatural. He wants to bring his sweet, transformative, supernatural grace into our world that's so starved of the goodness he brings. Guys, I love how when we choose to follow Jesus, God gives us an identity that gives us so much purpose right alongside it. We are children of the Most High God. We're ambassadors of God and his kingdom. He gives us a purpose that will outlast this planet that matters for all of eternity. And rather than give, having, us having to live lives on our own power, um, he gives us his Holy Spirit to fulfill the calling that he gives us. So let's jump right into the end of Acts chapter 2 and kind of read where Taylor left off or where he ended last week. Um, we're going to peek again at how the new community of believers were, were acting in those days after Jesus filled them with his spirit. So we're just going to review Acts 2, 41 through 47. This is coming in at the end of Peter's bomb message. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were, in com were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What do you guys notice in this passage? First question is, how long have the people in this community been following Jesus? Did you notice? Some people, like Peter and the OG 12 disciples, they had been walking with Jesus for a few years since he started his earthly, or his earthly ministry. I combined world and earth, worthly. It was a very worthwhile ministry. Um, others, like at least 3,000 people, straight up joined the faith that exact day. That's pretty fresh. I love how God still unites all of us no matter where we're at in the journey. Guys, Jesus had become these believers' passion. They were, they were cultivating their love for him every day in these settings. They were devoted to, what did Taylor say? Worship, prayer, discipleship, fellowship, mission, eating carbs. That's the only thing mentioned twice, by the way. It's my non-spiritual observation, breaking bread. The only thing in there twice, break that bread. Um, they were sacrificially sharing their material stuff for each other. Every day they were growing more and more in love with Jesus together. It's kind of like Tyler's passion for Zelda, growing with just that $20 encyclopedia. That darn encyclopedia, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> love for Jesus naturally grows with these kinds of sunlight, water, nutrients. I'm obviously not much of a gardener. Um, that, but they nurture it daily. We see that through the, these people's example. And we find that in our own lives, right? The more we're like coming to Chi Alpha, going to core, like digging into the Bible, we're growing. And then we got special things coming up soon, like discipleship class, also tomorrow. Um, salt coming up, oh my goodness, SVO, those are going to be like miracle grow in our faith. Thus ends my um, gardening analogies. So my question is, what does this look like in daily life? For, for somebody who's devoted to mission, what does this look like on an ordinary, ordinary day? Well, chapter 3 is coming in hot with that answer for us. 
So let's start reading chapter 3, and we'll see how this plays out for a couple of dudes. We're going to read Acts 3, 1 through 16. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. It's a good time. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to, also like five seconds ago, sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. That's like the last time I preached at the end of Matthew. We saw all that play out. You had disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but, love those Bible buts, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. We're going to pause there. What do you guys see in this passage? One thing that sticks out to me every time I read this is just how normal, how ordinary this day was, at the start at least. Peter and John were just cruising down the road on their normal day. What do you do on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock? They were just going to their afternoon class. They were just going to homes for their God time. They were just going to a practice room or going to the library to study or going to work, playing Pokemon Go, catch some shinies. Come on. It was just another day with nothing special on the calendar. And it seems like it was the same thing for the other guy in the story, right? The beggar who was paralyzed and couldn't walk. The author says he was being carried to that temple gate where he was put every day to beg. This was just so routine for both of them. But did you know that God loves working the ordinary? He loves showing up in amazing ways on normal days, possibly more than he loves parting the seas or interrupting nature's rhythms and big supernatural displays. If our eyes are just looking up at the sky for like some next earth-shattering event for God to show up, I'd encourage us to like recalibrate our focus onto everyday life and, and start noticing all that he's already up to. Back to Peter and John's excellent adventure. The man called out to them as they were going to the cirque. Oh, weird, I mean the temple gate. Um, and he asked them for money, like he'd probably done a million times over his lifetime, 40 years of being unable to walk. The story says later on that this guy was over 40 years old, and in that day, the average life expectancy was like 40-some years. So this is like an entire lifetime of never walking. How do you imagine he felt? I am not him. I am not 40. I can't imagine that. But I can only guess that he felt sort of past hope, maybe like doomed to just sit on the outside of God's temple, outside of God's house, and just beg from passerbys for however many more days or years he had left he'd probably never been able to go beyond the gate, beyond the threshold inside the temple. He was probably just always an outsider, always just out of reach, always watching other people live. But boy, did God love him. 
On this ordinary day, he asked these two dudes for money, and as Jesus' disciples, they took the chance to give him the most valuable treasure they had, the power and authority in the name of Jesus. And friends, what happened? The result was he was miraculously healed. Did you know the Holy Spirit loves to give gifts of God's grace to people? They're called spiritual gifts. We read about them a lot in the Bible. Um, these gifts, like, like they help glorify Jesus. Um, they help people come to know Jesus and what he's like. Um, and this gift that we see right here is called a gift of healing. Guys, can we just imagine how much this dude's life transformed in that moment through Peter and John just stopping to minister to him? He went from seemingly past hope, near the end of his life, no change in sight, to instantly heals, basically yeeting himself into God's house to worship God for the first time. Four decades of being crippled were transformed in an instant when the Holy Spirit's gift of healing met him, right? All of a sudden, his legs worked. All of a sudden, he could stand for the first time, and he could finally walk through those gates he spent his whole life on the outside of to go into the place of worship himself. Everyone watching was amazed. Wouldn't we be? Did you guys know that God can still change a life in an instant? God is so good. He's a generous, good gift giver. Um, I want to look at two reasons for why I think Peter and John acted the way they did towards this man on that day, as we think about how we too can be a community devoted to mission. First reason is they were looking for opportunities every day. So in the middle of Peter and John's ordinary day, they noticed this divine opportunity because I think they were looking for it. We humans are cute. We're funny. And sometimes our cute and funny brains, we think there's like a division between sacred stuff and secular stuff, between like churchy hours on our calendar and like normal person hours on our calendar. Did you know that that perceived division between sacred and secular is a lie? When we give our lives to Jesus, we give our entire lives to him. Think about a, bapti a baptism. When somebody's baptized, what percentage of them stays above the water? What, hopefully, in a good baptism. What categories of life stay dry while the other parts get submerged? You know, like in a surgery, people are like, this isn't a nose, but anyways, you like draw a like, Sharpie and it's like, cut off this arm, not this arm. Like, if that was like a baptism, you're like, please don't touch these parts. That would be really awkward, maybe a little funny, but mostly tragic. I don't think we should try that. In fact, in an ideal baptism, Braden knows, our entire lives are submitted to Jesus. Our whole self is dunked under the water, showing that we are, are dead to our sin. We're crucified with Jesus, and we are raised, and we're identifying with him in that way. We don't set apart our Tuesday nights and our core nights and make those holy, but not our Friday and Saturday nights. It's not like our hands are sanctified and set apart for holy use when we're lifting them in worship in a few minutes, but they're not late at night on the internet. Our entire lives we live as followers of Jesus, and there's no separation of these are holy hours and these are worldly hours. We worship him in all that we do every hour of every day. Every moment is sacred, devoted to Jesus and his divine purposes. And no matter how seemingly ordinary, God can and will work in those ordinary times. He'll cue us to join him. And if our radar is tuned, we'll hear him. Guys, what if we started thinking that God is always with us? Like he literally says many times. Um, but what if we started remembering that, you know? Same for me. What if we started thinking every day Jesus might be generously ready to give gifts to people in our hurting world. Did you know the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, he loves to whisper instructions and guidance for us. Sometimes we just haven't learned how to tune the Braden's like, radio station to pick up on that. What if we started thinking that any moment could be a God moment and that God wants to work through our walking to class or doing homework or getting coffee 
or working our shift just as much as he wants to work through us at Kyle Fair Core. I remember when I first realized this, I was a freshman in college, I was reading my Bible in my dorm room and after my morning classes when my roommate was gone. I, I don't know what I read that day, that was too long ago. Um, but it suddenly hit me that God was present in every moment, not just the like ones marked as Kyle Fair Core or church or whatever. And he wanted to work through me all the time. I was like, whoa, freshman brain. It was amazing. I remember closing my Bible and like bursting out of my room, going to dining hall for lunch with eyes that felt like they'd just been opened. Like who here wears glasses or contacts? Anybody? Okay. Decent majority or anyways. Um, do you guys remember that first drive home from the optometrist's office with your new lenses when you're out here looking like an idiot to the whole world because you're like realizing that in fact there are a lot of individual leaves on those blurry green trees. That's fascinating. If you haven't experienced this, I mean, your eyes are blessed. But even cooler, even cooler, those little bl blurry green little sign things, you get lenses. There is words with, like, street names you could read. Talk about a navigational game changer. Obviously, I myself have been there. Bellevue, 1998, never forget. Um, just like that. Just like that. My spiritual eyes... I don't know why you're laughing. I don't want to know. Anyways, my spiritual eyes were opened at how much richer my world was than I was previously aware. Guys, let me tell you, life gets a whole lot more exciting when you realize God is present and delighting in every moment, not just the ones marked as churchy Kyle stuff on your calendar. He's way too big for that. His heart for the lost people all around us is way too big for those limitations. So I, I'm pretty sure Peter and John, they already knew this. Um, they were looking for opportunities every day. They were already calibrated their radar to be listening to God's promptings, and they were looking for chances to talk about Jesus and minister his grace. Second reason that I think they did this on this day is he had re they had rebuilt their lives around Jesus' mission. So how did Peter and John, as Jesus' disciples and sent ones into the world, how did they set up their lives to live strategically? We already talked about how they'd grown and cultivated their passion for Jesus through being with our community, right? Acts 2. They were devoted to prayer, worship, discipleship, fellowship, all that bread. Their old lifestyles had been totally gutted and renovated, um, rebuilt from the studs up through discipleship. And they were spending time following Jesus in their community, um, being all about his desires every day. But there was another moment, right, even earlier on, where Jesus had given them some kind of commission, some kind of charge or mission to be about, that it makes everything about this encounter at the Temple Gate make sense. So I know we went over this verse last week, but... We just got to go there again. Would you guys check out with me Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which we call the Great Commission. It's where Jesus had previously come to the disciples, including Peter and John, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Once again, I was not there. But I think that if I heard Jesus speak those words to me, first time ever spoken on this planet, right after he'd come back from the dead, which is pretty unusual, right before he's airlifted to heaven before my eyes, also qualifies as unusual, I think I would remember those words. These last words were given as his marching orders to his followers, the OG disciples before him that day, and, and we inherit them down the line, thousands of years. We are holding that baton now as his present-day followers. It's in our hands now. This is what Peter and John's life mission had become. Since that day, on the mountain with Jesus, way before the Acts 2 passage, they'd made their lives all about fulfilling Jesus' marching orders, obeying their king's instructions. 
they'd already gotten a jump start on defeating what I like to call the my monster. That's my term for the thing inside of us that says, but my time, or my wants, or my money, or my future, my plans, my relationship, my career, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. I don't feel like it. I'm too tired. I and me and my life. Peter and John had already learned that my monster is just a byproduct of sin in our world and in our lives. It's just, we all have one. It's the natural part of our natural human flesh that we get to start putting to death when we start following Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us and make us more like Jesus every day, he helps us keep learning how to put the my monster to death, say no to that, and yes to Jesus and his identity and purpose and calling for us. I love how Paul wrote about the my monster when he says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Or like 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 14 through 21, um, it's on the screen, I'll just summarize it. It basically says, Jesus died for us so that we would not, no longer live for ourselves, hashtag my monster, but we would live for Jesus, who died for us and who was raised again. It says, if anybody's in Christ, the new creation has come. Science nerds, that means like an entirely new like species, a new being that's never before existed on this planet. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. New king on the throne. My monster gets an eviction notice. Jesus takes the throne in our lives. It says that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We get to help repair broken bridges between God and people. We get to help bring them back into right relationship and unity with our Father. And it says that we're Christ's ambassadors, which is where Kyalpha draws our name from, right? The Greek letters for Christ's ambassadors. If you didn't know that, that's freebie. Did you see how this, these verses captured the mind monsters being put to death for a reason, being put to death for a purpose? Why? so that we can super actively live out this new mission we've inherited from Jesus. We can't be his ambassadors if we're busy serving the mind monster all day long. It's pretty insatiable. At least mine's pretty annoying. Anyways, we get to be his ambassadors, his highest representatives on, the, on this planet. Um, his plan for reconciling the world to himself is not on a few priests in some cathedral somewhere. It's not on a few professional pastors or missionaries. Guys, his plan is us. We are his plan for reaching our campus. You are his plan for reaching your res hall or major workplace. We are his plan for reaching the most remote places in our world where whole ethnic people groups have not yet heard about Jesus and don't have anybody who can tell them. I remember in college, you guys, I think back to college a lot. It's a good time. Um, I used to sometimes freak out about what I was being challenged to like give up for God, what I was being challenged to like surrender to him. But when I stopped just being a stress monster about like what Jesus challenged me to like give up, and I started focusing on what he's inviting me to step into, I realized I'm living like bigger or better. Like we're always trading up with Jesus. I get to let go of my tiny self. We get to let go of our tiny selves being on the throne of our lives so that the world can see that Jesus is literally on the throne, so that he can see that he is king. We get to let go of stuff that just holds us back so that we can step into true freedom and purpose and fullness of life. Peter and John, they'd already learned how to tell the mind monster, bruh, you're not in charge anymore. Jesus is, and he's given us a divine mission. They were already practicing life not being about themselves and their comfort and desires, but about Jesus and his divine eternal priorities. Another fun fact is we don't even have to wait for a special moment of calling to decide if we'll think of ourselves as disciple makers or not. Because guess what? We just read Jesus' words calling everybody who follows him to be about his mission. If you have been crucified with Christ, the old is gone, the new creation is here, you're no longer a slave to your mind monster. You're an ambassador for the king. 
You're entrusted with the ministry of reconciling God and people. His mission has become your mission and our mission. As we are going, we make disciples and share God's grace with people. So as Peter and John were going to the temple at 3 p.m., they got to minister to this man and see God's grace transform his life in an instant. I love how rather than the voice of the mind monster ringing the loudest inside of their, their heads, the commission from Jesus was the beat by which they walked. And when that moment came, they knew exactly what to do. For sake of time, we don't get to read the entire rest of the story, but through the next couple chapters, the story keeps going because, as per usual, they make the religious leaders mad by doing cool stuff for Jesus, and they're like, oh, please stop. And they're like, whoops, Jesus told us to. Anyways, um, it should just, you should just read it on your own. That's formal permission. Um, but I just want to summarize, as they were going next, they got to tell the whole story of the gospel to thousands of people, and at least 2,000 more people joined the, follow- the family of Jesus that day. So... That was pretty amazing. That's in chapter 312 through 412. Let's think about our going. As you are going to all the things in your calendar tomorrow, how can you partner with Jesus? How can you learn to listen to the voice of our king and his spirit, welcoming you, welcoming us to join the ministry of reconciliation right where we are? Is there somebody in your life that you've maybe felt too busy to stop and minister to, but Jesus might want you to start sharing his grace to? Maybe he's bringing somebody to mind right now, like a roommate or a sibling or a friend or a coworker or a parent or somebody in class. I don't know. I'd encourage us all to pray and ask Jesus, okay, what would you like me to do to bless them? How do you want to generously pour out your grace into them, Jesus? I, there's limitless examples, just a few that I, I thought of from my own life. I've seen Jesus prompt me to spend time listening to somebody who is really lonely and just needed a patient listening ear to share what they're going through. Jesus challenged me, like, buy coffee for somebody, write a note of encouragement to go with the coffee for somebody who's having a hard time, or, like, buying them food, probably universal love language, or sharing a story from my life or a story from the Bible that could really encourage somebody who needs hope. I've also experienced him many times prompting me to give a spiritual gift to somebody. That's not like a gift that I, like, make up in myself. It's more like just being a UPS worker and, like, handing off Jesus' grace, packaged up exactly for them, um, and, and to see how he blesses them. I've seen Jesus heal people so many times, share gifts of knowledge and wisdom and faith. The list goes on. How can you take the next step in sharing God's grace with others? Before we close the application, I want to take a couple minutes to just kind of share a personal story about this because I don't know how recently I've shared the whole thing. Um, But one of the reasons I love this text and this story is because I myself have experienced like a tiny version of how much the Holy Spirit and his gifts of grace like healing can change somebody's life. Um, so when I came to college, a lot of you guys know part of this. Um, I had recently developed like an eating disorder senior year of high school. Not like it was. Um, my family was getting more and more broken. And my mentor said, you're probably trying to control the only thing you think you can control, which is like your eating and, and your weight and stuff. So I was like running a ridiculous number of miles every day and eating a ridiculously not amount of calories and just kind of felt like my body was like my enemy. Like it's just, yeah, like at odds. A couple of years later, God graciously got through my stubborn brain and helped me realize this was, like, not good. And something that my monster had a really big grip on in my life. And I, I repented of the eating disorder and body image stuff. And I really wanted to heal and just have, like, a normal relationship with food and exercise in my body. But in my years of living that way, I, like, developed a bunch of, like, stomach and health issues. I went to a bunch of doctors and GI specialists and everybody you could get to, acupuncture, naturalists. It was a big list. And nobody could solve it. I would, like, react to different foods physically. Um, I won't get into details, don't worry. Um, and then, but it wasn't a clear, like, oh, you have celiac or you're allergic to this. They were all like, well, your tests came back mostly normal, but you're not normal. So I don't know. Good luck. And I'd be like, excellent. This is fun for me. 
Um, and it just left me sitting in this frustrating mystery for years. Um, I went through sophomore and junior year of college, really emo and wrestling with that, and being frustrated that nobody could find answers. It's, it's really hard to have something that you don't have answers about. Um, I think that's a human thing. Um, but this issue for me affected a lot of my life, um, and I didn't want to obsess about food anymore like I had during the eating disorder time, but now I kind of was because of the health stuff, because I'm like, what the heck can I eat? That won't mess me up. Um, and it just felt like the biggest limiting factor in my life. Then the story gets happy, don't worry. Senior year, I went on SBO at Wazoo, and just like this year's SBO teams, our team was there to talk to people on campus about faith, and we went to their Alpha service, and that night the message was about the Holy Spirit. And for some reason, it just made so much more sense hearing somebody different explain it. That's why we go to salt and everything. It finally makes sense there. What I say doesn't make sense. You gotta hear somebody, you gotta hear, I saw it'll be like my boss's 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 boss preaching there. He'll make sense. Um, but I remember that night, Steve, he said, the Holy Spirit's like the spirit of Jesus. It is the spirit of Jesus, described in scripture. And the fruit of the spirit, it's like Jesus' character leaking out of you. And the gifts of the spirit, it's like Jesus' power leaking out of you. It's, it's just Jesus. It's not all these lists of things I like, couldn't remember and wrap my head around. That was all confusing for my little brain. At the end of the message, that made so much more sense. Um, we had worship time, as we do. And a bunch of people went down to pray and pray for each other. And I heard in my head clearly, like it doesn't happen all the time, but I heard in my head clearly, Melissa, go down and, and receive prayer, and I'm going to change you tonight. I was like, I've learned by now, the longer I resist this, the harder my heart beats, and the more I stress sweat, so I'm just going to avoid cardiac arrest and just obey. Um, so I went down to pray and, and receive prayer, and my intern leader, Tony, who, spoiler alert, is now my husband, um, he asked what I want to be prayed for. So I told him, the food stuff, you know, it's been a thing all of college. I would love to be free from it. I'd love to be healed from the stomach mysteries. I'd just love to be free of this thing. So G Tony and some of my teammates prayed over me to be healed. And after their prayer, I remember Tony had a bunch of like specific faith. He was like, hey, I think you should try eating normal food tomorrow. And that was specific to me. I do not encourage anybody with any food allergies to just go willy-nilly with that. <laughs> but for my specific mystery case, that was what Tony suggested after our prayer for healing. Tony also asked me if I want to be prayed for to be baptized in the Spirit. And I said, you know, I still don't totally understand what all that's about. But if it's more of Jesus in my life, I wouldn't say no. So after praying for healing, they prayed for me to be baptized in the Spirit. And that's a beautiful, longer story. But God answered those prayers that night, both of them. And I was, I was filled with the Spirit. And when I started speaking in tongues for the first time, it felt like the most free I've ever been as a human. It was like I was like hugging Jesus. And just like it was so different. It was so awesome. And the next morning, I still remember, I ate raisin bran and cow's milk for breakfast. Breakfast of champions. Um, I hadn't had those in years. No issues. We went out on campus to do conversations of prayer walking and all that awesome stuff. And eventually it became afternoon and people were eating like lunch. I hadn't even noticed. Guys, this was the first time in like four or five years that I hadn't thought about food every like half hour before a meal. Like I had zero calculations, zero thoughts, zero awareness. I was just focused on the mission. I was, so, I was like, oh, lunch. I might have one in my backpack. That's, that's, I was so free. Guys, I can't tell you how free I was. I sense that I've never had stomach issues or obsessive food thoughts since then. I have eaten two mean tacos or crumble cookies, but those are worth it. Um, but I was completely healed. And the effect that that had on my mind and my body, you guys, it changed my life. And the baptism of the Spirit changed me too. Just like 2 Corinthians 5 said, it compelled me in talking about Jesus on campus that day. I went to Wazoo. I, got, I was there. I mean, um, I got to talk with this girl who was waiting for her boyfriend for like an hour. Um, he was really late slash never showed up. And we had this awesome conversation. It's okay. It was worth it. Um, we had this awesome, I don't know what they're doing. Anyways, never mind. 
they're probably fine. Um, we had this great conversation um, where I got to like explain the whole Bible and like answer so many questions that she had. Um, and it was like the best conversation I've ever had with a stranger. And it felt so easy. It felt like I was being like fueled up as I was like talking. It was, it was, it was just passion. Just like Jesus kind of said he would do in Acts chapter one, the baptism of the spirit empowers us to be his witnesses. And it was incredible to experience that myself. Guys, what are the points of my story? Jesus really does fill us with power to be his witnesses. And guys, gifts of healing, they really do change people's lives. I am so grateful that I am free from all that junk. I'm so grateful to be filled with his power to be a witness. The man at the temple gate, he experienced a ridiculously dramatic and life-changing gift of God's grace on that day. And to a way lesser degree, my life was also super changed in that 24 hours at Wazoo. And now, like 14 years later, I'm still every day grateful for God's spirit answering those prayers, setting me free from all that stuff, and filling me with the spirit. Jesus can still change a life in an instant. As the worship team comes up, um, the story of Peter and John's excellent adventure, it it kind of ends, at least for this phase of it, um, with this last part I just want to read in closing. It's Acts 2, uh, nope, it's not true, that's not true. Acts 4, 12 through 13. So in response to the religious leaders who are really mad at them, Peter says to everyone listening, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name but Jesus' under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that these were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you're like me, pretty unschooled and ordinary, being with Jesus is the only qualifier this text gives for being an effective witness. Does that have a specific time frame attached to it? It's like be with Jesus in seminary or be with Jesus for like 20 years, then talk to somebody. No, very true. Um, people who have only been a Christian for five minutes can have a passionate story to tell. Somebody who's new to reading their Bible and having their mind blown by God's word can have exciting things to share with others. Guys, I would love for our community to continue joining the heartbeat of the Acts 2 community, growing our love for Jesus through being devoted to discipleship, prayer, fellowship, worship, mission, probably carbs too. I would love for us to be always growing and listening to the Holy Spirit, to share God's grace with our broken world, to, as we are going, let other people know about the great God who loves them, and to rebuild our lives around Jesus' mission rather than the My Monster's demands. So as we enter into responding to Jesus tonight, here are some application questions um, for us to reflect on. I'd love for you to just choose at least one to think about or journal about tonight as we transition into response. First question is just a safe general, what did you learn tonight? Second one is, how does the My Monster tend to affect your life? And the last one is, what next step can you take to share God's grace with others? I'll pray to transition us. Jesus, thank you. Um, just like John 10.10 says, the, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but, but you, the good shepherd, you come to give us life and have it to the fullest. Thank you for, for being a bigger and better sort of God that you, you tra- allow us to trade up and to let go of smaller stuff and to receive just incredible inheritance and calling and, and purpose, and, and you give us all the empowerment and equipment that we need to do the mission you've called us to. Um, thank you that you always come through and that it's so um, it's just the best gift in the world to get to follow you and, and to be filled up with you um, and to live life with you. So I pray that you would speak to every person here tonight. Help us know if there's something that has got a grab on us that you want to set us free from tonight. Um, help us know if there's a person in our lives that, that we could really... Open our hearts um, to your grace to be able to share to them in a specific way. Would you just glorify yourself to us tonight, Jesus? Um, And would would you be magnified in our worship? In your name, amen.